and welcome to the Melbourne Catholic Podcast. My name is Tiffany Davis and I'm coming to you from the Communications Office for the Catholic Archdiocese of Melbourne. Our guest today is Professor Janie Anderson, Founding Director of the Australian Institute of Art History at the University of Melbourne. Janie Anderson was the first female Rhodes Fellow at the University of Oxford, where she remained until 1991, lecturing in art history. She was the convener of the 32nd International Congress in the History of Art, entitled Crossing Cultures, Conflict, Migration and Convergence, held at the University of Melbourne in January 2008. Janie is an internationally recognised art historian and curator. Her publishing and research focuses on Venetian Renaissance painting and her outstanding contribution to the field saw her honoured with an Italian knighthood in 2015. More recently, Janie was part of the team that brought to life the cultural legacy of Melbourne's first bishop, Archbishop James Olypius Gould, as part of an Australian Research Council discovery project. Along with Reverend Dr Max Fajola, Chairman of the Melbourne Diocesan Historical Commission, and historian Shane Carmody, they produced the book The Invention of Melbourne, A Baroque Archbishop and a Gothic Architect, which accompanies an exhibition of the same name, currently being held at Melbourne's old Treasury building. Welcome, Janie. Nice to be here. Thank you for being here and for your time. Janie, at the opening of the exhibit, A Baroque Archbishop in Melbourne, the Honourable Linda DeSalle, Governor of Victoria, described Archbishop Gould as one of the country's leading citizens determined to furnish a ramshackle boomtown with all the trappings of civilization theatres, galleries, museums, universities and libraries, as well as churches. Janie, I'm really taken by that phrase, a ramshackle boomtown. It's sometimes difficult for today's citizens to appreciate how different the Victorian landscape was in the 19th century. Perhaps you could begin by painting a picture for us of colonial Victoria and the landscape into which our first Archbishop found himself. Well, the best representation of this landscape is in the exhibit on the other side of the old treasury to where our exhibition is, which documents how Melbourne began as a quieter, a sort of mud shackle town, but the big change came with the gold rush, and Gould came to Melbourne just before the gold rush began um, in the 40s. He was ambitious for the town, and I suppose it must have been in the air that gold would be discovered. But by 1852, he was uh, raising huge sums of money from parishioners, sometimes in the form of gold bars. And he went to Europe and he ordered a huge number of paintings in Rome at a period when they wouldn't have been very expensive. And I know I discovered some documents in the Archivio di Stato in Rome. And there we found that he exported in 1852 to three 134 old master paintings. We don't have a list with their titles, but we, we know that it was a bulk order. And in the same archive, if you compare other bishops' activities, like there was a bishop of Texas uh, with a huge diocese who was only allowed nine. So we don't know whether Gould had lots of gold bars and lots of money, or he was very charismatic, he spoke Italian very well, uh, how he got them. He was very ambitious as a builder of churches and of schools. And uh, I don't know about theatres, but he <laughs> the cathedral is an extraordinary building. Mm. And although my interest in the project was more in the form of 
I was interested in the paintings to begin with. When I wrote up the grant application, we did put in a PhD project on Wardell, the architect of mm -hmm. genius who worked with uh, Gould. And the, the cathedral is a, is a wonderful building, I think, the largest neo-Gothic cathedral in the world, mm -hmm. but of extraordinary beauty, and it's very well kept. Um, and there are other really lovely churches throughout Melbourne, 13, and many, many schools. I think Gould built 86 schools or yes. something. So he, he, to answer your question, it was you know, a very small town, and then the gold rush transformed it, and he was waiting to take advantage of it. And he was very ambitious for Catholic culture in mm. Melbourne. There's no doubt about that. On the cover of our book, we have a wonderful photograph by Charles Nettleton showing you the cathedral under construction, and it's rising out of nowhere. And that I th we thought this was very good to illustrate the title, The Invention of Melbourne, because it, it showed you uh, Gould's uh, vision for what mm. he wanted to achieve and the ambition of the man. And um, William Wardell, his uh, creative collaborator, wasn't in fact the original architect he had in mind when St. Patrick's was thought of. No, but he happened to come to Australia at, at the right moment. Yeah. It was said for ill health, but he was a man of enormous energy and one can't imagine him being any ill at all. But he came, he was a Catholic convert and his main job was as the state architect. So he was under his uh, watch. A lot of major mm. Melbourne buildings were built, but a private client was Gould. And so he, he, and he worked well with Gould. We, we don't have any correspondence uh, because they lived in the same town. Mm. And one would love to know what their conversations were about. You could write a film script about <laughs> it, perhaps imagining <laughs> it. Um, but the, the legacy the, to the built environment of Melbourne is very considerable. Mm. And in any other country, there'd be individual monographs on every building that Wardell built. Um, but um, I don't know why he's not, why there isn't a monograph, say, on um, Government House, which is a divine building, yes. and uh, again, in one of these specially chosen sites. So um, Wardell was, was, was a wonderful colonial architect and, and if you walk around Melbourne or perhaps if you use a drone and look at the buildings from above, you can see the wonderful sculptural shapes and, and, and they sort of are outstanding in relation to other buildings in the landscape. Mm. Wonderful. Janie, in your essay in this book, The Invention of Melbourne, um, your essay is entitled Collecting for Conversion, Bishop Gould's Passion for Late Baroque Painting. You describe his collection of sacred images as part of a missionary activity necessary to excite devotion in what was still referred to as the New World. Janie, how integral was art, or is art, and an appreciation of sacred images to, de to the development of this New World? Well, they're big questions. Uh, <laughs> for Gould... Um, I went, as an art historian, I was uh, fascinated by the fact uh, that they're all of a particular taste, mm. late Baroque, and that's not common in the English-speaking world. And we traced his early education, religious education, uh, in Italy, and I went on a trip with Rachel Norton, mm. and she's written about it in Footprints. Um, Rachel Norton, our... Um, yes, and she's written about it. We traced Gould's uh, footsteps and from uh, Perugia, where he was ordained, mm -hmm. to Viterbo, where he did special things. And we could see the Baroque paintings that must have interested him. 
And right from the beginning, he was obviously regarded as, as clever and someone to fast forward in the Catholic hierarchy. So he, he, he's, we think he got this taste for Italian stuff in Italy as a young man. And Baroque, well, Baroque art is very emotional. It's, it, it, that, that late Baroque period is all about creation of saints, of conversion, that sort of thing. Mm. It was very clear that he wasn't interested in the names of artists, that is, in who had painted things. Um, and that was perplexing but also revealing. We have also a project in this ARC grant about the library, and one of the rather remarkable and wonderful things is that Kerry Byrne and her team, Hugh Sandover and Nicolatli, have put together Gould's Library, reconstituted it, and there's now a rare book room. And it's a very beautiful room with uh, Mannix's bookshelves from Raheen and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. and a very considerable online presence. So for the future, when anyone wants to study Gould, you can go in and look at what his books were. But in his library, I was looking to see what works he had by, say, Vasari, Rodolfi, nothing. He had Mrs. Jamison's books on sacred and, mm -hmm. and profane art and also on uh, his images of the Madonna. So he has a lot of um, works of the Madonna in mm -hmm. the collection. So he's, um, he's a particular taste. It's an individual taste. And it's there for a particular reason. And, 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 and he brings religious orders to Australia, the Jesuits, the um, Christian brothers, and, and, and formidable nuns, mm. um, the Mercies and, Mercies and other ones. And they're in the, some of their portraits are in the exhibition. And he's, you know, he's competitive with other religious groups in Melbourne. Um, and I found a document somewhere where, where it said that they liked Italian imagery because it was superior to anything the Anglicans brought in. I'm an Anglican, so I <laughs> <laughs> so kind of agreed, but anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, so he's a, he's, it's, a, it's a highly individual thing with Gould, mm. this, this, this love of late Baroque stuff. And, um, and at the same time, he, he likes Gothic architecture. And that at first sight might seem contradictory, but in fact... They're both anti-classical styles, and I think that's... But they look... pictures look wonderful in the yeah, churches. They books, do. So, mm. Janie, where did your interest in the art collection of Archbishop Gould begin? Well, rather surprisingly, we, um, when I was director of the Australian <coughs> Institute of Art History, we had a conference on Piranesi, and there was a Piranesi exhibition at the State Library. And um, the person arranging it was Colin Holden, and he's no longer with us, unfortunately, but passionate about prints, and he, um, he said, he pointed out to me that the University of Melbourne had in its collection a complete printing of Piranesi's mm -hmm. works, which is quite unusual. And I said, how on earth did they get those? And he said, oh, they belonged to Archbishop Gould. And I said, oh, well, who was he? Because I'd never heard of him before. Mm -hmm. He's not, you know, big in, until now, in the whole um, understanding of yeah. um, bishops in Melbourne. So uh, then we began to be fascinated by him, and we had a conference, and we had out from Italy Ugo Ficacci, who mm -hmm. was then in charge of art in Bologna. He was the superintendent in Bologna, and one of the world's great Piranesi ex experts, so he gave a very interesting paper on Piranesi. But it was actually Shane Carmody who said, well, you know, there are pictures, and um, everyone's always dismissed them as copies before, but yes. he said, he said, you know, you should have a look at them. 
So I went with Focacci, and as soon as we went into the cathedral, where I blushed to confess I had never been before, or although I had admired it from outside, after all, mm-hmm. I'm a mere Anglican, and <laughs> as soon as I got inside, we, we realised that there were some rather wonderful paintings mm-hmm. that were not copies in the normal sense. The word copy is a very um, unsatisfactory word. Mm-hmm. So then we, um, we looked at the Stella and... Ficacci had done his thesis on 17th century artists in Italy, including Stella, and he, and, and you know, he was pretty sure it was fine. And um, and then uh, we looked at other things in in the Catholic Archdiocese, and it was pretty clear that there were some really remarkable 17th century Baroque paintings. Mm. There were also copies, um, and it's this intermixing of copies and originals that's quite interesting in the display of churches. And we have a very remarkable young scholar speaking in this uh, conference that we have at the University of Melbourne on the 18th of February at 6 o'clock, Raphael Yapon, who Mm -hmm. is from the University of Granada, who's going to talk about Spanish 17th century churches and the originals and copies that were in them and the display and what it was about in terms of religious experience. And this is the sort of background that Gould had before he... He came here. So my interest began like that. And and I was, first of all, really interested in the painting. Um, And then Shane was very interested in the library. And and writing up the grant application, you kind of think of ways of enhancing Mm -hmm. the project. And and they're meant to help young students and young people succeed. So (laughs) um, we we wrote in a PhD project on Wardell and Gould, on Wardell's relationship with Gould realising that there wasn't much written about mm-hmm. Gould and Bordell and, and not too much about Bordell either, although there was a thesis done years ago by Ursula de Jong. So we, um, we, you know, we, we wrote this up as a project, and the first time we put it in, it wasn't successful, although we got very high marks for it, and the Faculty of Arts at the University of Melbourne gave us some money to, to sort of do some preliminary research. Mm-hmm. And then um, we put it in again, but this time with Max Vidola. And it was very important to have Max Vidola on board because he chairs the Historical Commission yes. and he has clout within the church. And when your ARC applications are reviewed, you know, some of the reviewers are quite picky and they sort of say things like... Um, well, you know, you'll never get this project off the ground because there isn't anyone from the Catholic Church involved. <laughs> but then the second time around, no, no one could be, could say that. And I think <laughs> Max has been invaluable. Wonderful. Take us through, Janie. I, I want to know more about that moment where you, where you set eyes on this Jacques Stella painting, Jesus in the Temple, found by his parents. Mm-hmm. I'd love to just get your thoughts on seeing this painting, which, as you've just described. And was originally thought to be a copy was is in fact an original. Mm-hmm. Well, in the in, it, it's not when you recognise a great work of art. There's also quite a lot to do to prove what it is. So the moment we thought this was really worth investigating, and it was, there are parts of the painting that are extremely beautiful, particularly Christ's face, mm. the way the colours are done, these conjante colours. Um, there are bits of it that are quite gorgeous. It's very hard to see in the baptistry. Um, it, it's hard to photograph. It's been quite hard to study mm. it. Um, but um, then I asked for it to be photographed and taken down, 
and Rachel Norton was wonderful, as she has been right throughout the project. And when we got it down, we saw all the stuff on the back. Yes. And uh, one of the good things about the Catholic Church as a custodian of images is sometimes, but not always, they leave the backs intact. Mm -hmm. And th this was clearly a 17th century canvas that had never been um, um, you know, tidied up by a restorer somewhere or something. Mm -hmm. And the, it, it's in very good condition. There are quite beautiful images of um, the canvas. And then there were also two inscriptions attributing it with numbers to Jacques Stella, who isn't a very famous painter outside of France, mm -hmm. but he's a, he's a rather remarkable artist. And this is probably his best work ever. And I now think, I mean, it takes a while to study and understand these pictures. We found on the reverse a Roman custom stamp, and that suggested that it was in the collection of Cardinal Fesch in Rome, mm -hmm. who was Napoleon's uncle. And he was a, he was a big... That's the Napoleon Bonaparte. The Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> Cardinal Fesch is a, an extraordinary figure who... It depends on whether you read about him in French or English, but the English all sort of disliked him intensely because he was a Bonaparte. <laughs> and they, they accused him of, you know, um, when he became... a priest and then he went and managed Napoleon's armies and mm -hmm. forgot about being a priest and then he became a cardinal and then he helped Napoleon get married and he helped Napoleon get divorced and you know he did all sorts of mm -hmm. things that could be considered questionable or compromising but as a collector he's quite remarkable mm -hmm. and the collection was huge and even more so than the 50s I mean in the French revolutionary period um it was easy to pick up things, and he, he picked up whole collections. And this uh, painting I discovered in his notebook was bought in Paris from a revolutionary person, so someone who must have nicked it out yeah. of the church. It was originally painted for the Church of the Jesuits in Paris in 1641 and commissioned by Cardinal Richelieu and the head of the Jesuits, Soublet de Noyer, who's less well-known but a remarkable person. It was hung next to the principal altar, which was Poussin's miracle of, of a Japanese woman, which is in the Louvre now. Mm -hmm. It's the largest painting Poussin ever painted. And then it was also next to a Vouet. We have no views of the interior installation, but it must have been pretty amazing. And it was a very important church in Paris. And then in the late 18th century, it was disbanded and things thrown away. The royal collection stepped in and took the Poussin, but we don't know quite what happened. There was a sale called the Curiosities of the Jesuits. It's not in that, I think. But uh, anyway, it emerges on this sort of bank. I mean, this, and and um, and Fesch buys it for nothing, mm -hmm. along with the Poussin, Michelangelo, and God knows what. Um, so, it <laughs> and he, he his collection when he died, was inventoried about 20,000 works. Wow. But he probably had many, many more. Yeah. <laughs> and we ja have other works from Fesher's collection in the Catholic collection. Yeah. Yes. Janie, uh, in your essay, um, in, in tracing the history of the Stella painting, you make mention of Cardinal Fesher's correspondence with his nephew, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, yes. wherein he, it sounds like he's defending this growing art collection of his. And... I, as make a wonderful film script. Yes, <laughs> I think so, one day. You know, why do you collect and try to... Uh, um, and, and Napoleon... Napoleon, all the Bonapartes are amazing collectors. I mean, Napoleon really begins 
modern museums as we know them. Mm. But fish, it, it was a thing about religious art. And the British art historians write about it very disparagingly. But the French love him because all their museums are full of these wonderful um, religious works that, mm. he, that he owned. And they see him rather differently. Um, Fesch ended his life in Rome, where his collection was in three palaces. And three palaces. Three palaces. And he got it out of Paris in the nick of time when the Bonapartes were gotten rid of by pretending it was owned by his banker. <laughs> and so the banker exported it from Paris. It's a wonderful sort of story. Um, and, um, and then when he died in 1839... Uh, there was a there was a big sale over many years in the 40s, and because the, the collection was so huge, mm. many people stockpiled the pictures. And Dublin, the National Museum in Ireland, have quite a lot of fresh paintings. And and uh, sort of discovering what they were and what they were about is is a task that many people are engaged in at the moment. Um, and it must it must have been an extraordinary collection. As to what kind of collector he was, uh, I mean, it's it's generally said that that he was terrible and profiteered and was insincere at the point of view of religion. But you know, he had in his bedroom things like Poussin's Dancing <coughs> to the Music of Time, and I don't I don't think he can have been that bad. He must have known <laughs> a good picture. Uh, um, and the pictures here are, are very interesting. They are about religious experience in a way that perhaps is difficult for 20th century people to or 21st century people to understand well actually Janie that sort of leads to my next question is that um, in hearing about or reading about Cardinal Fesch and this you know uh, surprising connection between the Jacques Tiller painting currently hanging in St. Patrick's Cathedral to the family of Napoleon Bonaparte I was thinking about that perennial argument that always seems to come up in in modern society around the role of religious institutions, including the Catholic Church, as custodians of these million-dollar art pieces. I wanted to ask you, what place do you think religious art and architecture has in the context of 21st century Australia? Well, uh, there are many people who are deeply devout and, um, and believe in these images, and... They are also, I mean, if you look at Baroque painting in Australia in collections, this is one of the most important pieces. It's as important as the Poussin in the National Gallery <coughs> or the Tiepolo, but th it's about mm. different things to the Tiepolo. So it's, it, it, it's an important work of art. I think it would be helpful if there was perhaps some discussion of it in a caption or in the cathedral, mm -hmm. understanding it. Um, I think that would be helpful in terms of, of making it better known. I would love to put it into a modern laboratory because you can see that there are pentimenti underneath changes and underdrawings and things. And I think you would appreciate the extraordinary quality of the painting uh, better if it was better lit and mm. that sort of thing. I know that the dean of the cathedral and the archbishop are thinking about these things. Um, but it's been safe in the cathedral, you know, nothing's uh, sort of happened to it, and it's too big to steal. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's been, um, you know, it's been well looked after, and it's been a pleasure to rediscover it. In terms of, I mean, in its context, it did inspire Jesuit 
descriptions of how you worship the Madonna and meditational exercises. I'm not competent to say if these could be revived for present-day Catholics, but maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Mm. Art plays a, such an important role in people's lives. It's, mm. it's inescapable, really. It's a wonderful thing to have. Janie, you once said of Archbishop Gould that the Melbourne, Arts, Melbourne Archbishop's translation of Italian religious art into Australia provides us with a new perspective on colonial culture in our country and that it's not just the usual narrative of convicts and gold. <laughs> what surprised you the most about this project, both of uh, gold as an art collector, but also of, I guess, the role of, of religious art in how we understand our surroundings and, and our history? Well, I'm really an Italian expert, and whenever I've written about Australian art, people sort of say, oh, you don't really understand it or know about it, which I find a bit hard to take, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> um, well, when I discovered, I mean, it was a slow discovery because, first of all, there was the Piranesi, and, and Piranesi, the complete set of Piranesi isn't what you'd expect to find in an archbishop's collection. But it's late Baroque, like mm. the, the rest of the taste. And and this archbishop is very interested in books and printing, and that'll come out in the conference, mm. the two wonderful papers um, on, on the books in Gould Library and how he helped printing in Melbourne. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't... It, what, what was very nice about the project was it gathered support from people in Catholic institutions in Melbourne um, the Mannix Library, they, you know, they weren't written into the original proposal except rather vaguely, and mm -hmm. this has become a very wonderfully realised collection with an online presence for the dissemination of results. So that was, that was pretty, pretty exciting and unexpected. And then everyone has worked together very collegiately. There's been none of the normal kind of nonsense that can go on. Uh, with people becoming competitive, I found this, mm, or you know yes. something. Like we we haven't been like that at all, and um, and we have had a wonderful PhD student, Paola Collione, who is Italian from Bergamo, mm -hmm. and Paola is a linguist, and she has she's wonderful in archives, and she writes English and Italian just so well. It's just amazing. Um, so it's it's been the collegiality and. Um, People have welcomed it. It hasn't been competitive research, and we've produced. I mean, normally people don't produce books till after a, an ARC grant is yes. over, but we've produced this one, and we also produced the catalogue, which is freely available. Mm -hmm. and, and this the book, The Invention of Melbourne, Jenny, you yes. were saying earlier, has sold out. Is now is in it in its second print run. It's surprisingly a bestseller. I <laughs> say surprisingly because you know um, historical books don't always sell that well. So we're re it's available now in a reprint. Mm. Um, we'd love it if it sold out very quickly, of course. But it is an interesting book, and it has created a lot of attention abroad. I mean, this, this, the, the, the fact that the Baroque is exported abroad, the distinction of the architecture and the colonial library. And it's, um, it, it's, it, it's a significant presence still in the lives of Melbournians, mm. the buildings, the, the paintings, and that's really, and probably more will, will happen. We, we produced a little catalogue of them, but we will hope before the project finally concludes to do a, a catalogue of what we've discovered. We've only discovered 60 
out of what were many hundreds of paintings that Gould brought back, and we know that there are more out there. Mm. And we suspect that probably in Vatican II, a lot of churches got rid of their Baroque paintings. They didn't know what they were, and they may have um, uh, been bought up by dealers from abroad. I understand mm. a lot of that went on at that time. So um, I think everything surprised me a bit about it. I mean, the, the way it's yielded and continues yes. to yield, because... Sometimes you can have good ideas and then not find anything. Mm. But this, this this yielded and people keep on working at it. And I think it will have an, an impact for quite a time to come. And a lot of people have got a lot, of, lot out of it. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, a, a doctorate, an exhibition, um, books, um, conferences. It's, it's, it's done Wonderful. well. Mm. Yeah. And it's been a pleasure to work with everybody. I no, I think uh, that certainly comes across, as you were saying, this um, this collaboration, which has yielded so much. I think mm. it's a it's a wonderful thing to have in our city, and that whole that idea of the invention of Melbourne and its connections, particularly uh, to Archbishop Gould and uh, William Mordell, just the making of a city. I think it's fascinating to to learn more about it. Janie, I want to know you're an art historian, internationally recognised curator. And you've been honoured with an Italian knighthood back in 2015. But let's just answer a simple question here. Where did your love of art begin? My parents took me to Europe when I was 14. And we went, we could, I'm so old that we could then, <laughs> we could go via the Suez Canal. And we, en- and we began in Naples and we, we got a Fiat car mm-hmm. and we went the length of, we went all over Europe, but we went all up um, throughout Italy. And Italy sort of grabbed me. And in Venice, I had one of those um, Strondal moments. It was it was December, it was very cold. And I, ever since then, I've written a lot about Venetian art. So it was, it was the direct contact of works of art in a foreign country that meant a great deal to me. Mm. And still does. <laughs> Quite obviously. <laughs> That's wonderful. And... Janie, having learned about the Jacques Stella painting at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Melbourne, as a final question, I'd love to ask you, where else would you recommend people go to find some of Australia's hidden masterpieces? Well, Australia's hidden masterpieces are many. (laughs) Um, Give us your top three, perhaps. Top three. Well, I think the Stella, which remained invisible to everyone in St. Patrick's Cathedral for 150 years, is probably... Ah, fairly, fairly important. <laughs> um, and then there are other other um, Italian paintings in the Catholic Archdiocese. Recently, I was involved in the discovery of a Giorgione drawing and an inscription about him in the University of Sydney Library. A young woman, Kim Wilson, uh, discovered it one evening, or she was intrigued to ask questions about it when she was asked to look after it, when it was taken mm-hmm. out of a safe for an evening of philanthropists. And she then worked out that the inscription had the word Zorzon, which is Georgianian Venetian dialect, and she sent me an email about it. So this is um, a totally surprising uh, thing. I mean, uh, um, Georgiani is, is one of my subjects. I've written a book that people think well of. And... Um, so I couldn't believe it because it gives you pers- dates for his birth and death and, and, and tells you quite a lot about him. And so I, they asked me to work on it with them and I wrote this article with 
Kim and other other people who were involved in the discovery. And it, I mean, it's been discussed in about 30 Italian newspapers, mm. and it's um, going to be the, the focal point, we hope, of an exhibition in Milan, uh, a new exhibition wow. about Giorgione, in 2022 and we will send out the loan requests next month and we'll see see how it goes mm -hmm. so that that is a hidden masterpiece. a hidden masterpiece it's a very surprising drawing i mean a very very surprising discovery and quite beautiful mm -hmm. um and these annotations or marginalia to uh, books are very very important and no one's really sort of taken notice of them. They, they discovered one in Heidelberg University Library about Leonardo da Vinci, mm. which gives a, a, a date for the Mona Lisa, 1503. So, so it occurs now and again. Well, three. Um, well, look, um, we'll go why don't we go for the Gauguin fan in, uh, the, in uh, the gallery in outside of Adelaide, which is a, the only Gauguin in Australia and... Mm hardly ever on exhibition and, and quite beautiful. But there are others. I mean, I think it would be rather wonderful, as I said to you, we could do a program together <laughs> on Australia's <laughs> hidden masterpieces, uh, looking at uh, those in religious context. And the Georgiani drawing is a reaction to a religious text, mm. and that's what makes it terribly interesting. So we could do a series of programs on hidden masterpieces, and there are quite a number of them. Darwin, Hobart, all over everywhere, the country. all over the, all over the place. So, I think it would be a very interesting project to 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 sort of define these things and bring them to the notice of general public. Mm. Most of my life, I've spent going and looking at works of art in churches in Italy, but um, I never thought to do it here. But I now, every time I see an old church, I pop in to yeah. <laughs> have a good look, and particularly <laughs> in the sacristy. Yes. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you, Janie, for your time. I, I loved what you just said there about it is. It often takes other people to um, to see things that perhaps have been under our nose the whole time. And I think this this whole project of yours with uh, Shane Carmody and, and Father Max Vajola has been a wonderful example of that, um, and an invitation uh, to all of us to to visit the exhibit that's currently on at uh, the old Treasury Building until the first of March. And of course, if you have the time in February, later in February from the 17th to the 18th, is the book ending, the, um, the project, the exhibit, is a conference that's entitled Translating European Culture to Colonial Melbourne, looking at James Gould and his legacies that Janie referred to earlier. And this is open to everyone. It's a free conference. Uh, you are invited. We'll put the link on our website for where you can register. But I do encourage you, Having just listened to Janie and spoken to her uh, earlier about the, the wonderful work that's come out of this, it's a wonderful experience and a great new way to see our old Melbourne in a new light. Thank you. Thanks, Janie. <laughs>